Podcast world, what's up? How are you? The Foul Life Podcast, the Sig Sour Peace of Mind Podcast Series. My man Jason St. John back for part three. American Army sniper, shooting extraordinaire, just a great person, a great father, a great husband, a great friend, a great mentor. Thank you, Rob Roberts at Rob Roberts Custom Gunworks for introducing me to Jason St. John. He's now a full-time employee, a big part of the success of Sig Sour. He's an amazing individual, his military career, his discipline, his upbringing. He's very honest. He's very open. He's very transparent. I love these conversations. We're bringing him back more and more. We'll have part four coming up shortly. But right now, it's part three of the Foul Life Podcast, Sig Sauer, Peace of Mind Podcast Series. Depend on Sig Sauer. Are you kidding me? That new 10 millimeter? Every platform that they have in handguns and ARs, amazing. Military, law enforcement. Defending our homes, protecting our freedoms, defending our communities, our families, our friends, the right to carry, concealed carry permits, the Second Amendment, Sig Sauer stands behind it. They support our culture. We're truly blessed and honored to be part of the Sig Sauer family. Sig Sauer, peace of mind, the Foul Life podcast is also brought to you by our friends and family at none other than Corning Ford. Francis, Paul, y'all are it. Largest selection of Super Duty Ford diesels on the West Coast. Farming, ranching, hunting, fishing, outdoors, commercial, construction, name it. Go there. Build your truck. Get the experience that you deserve. Talk to these guys. They're passion for you. They're, you're going to be your friends in a hurry. You're going to become fast friends. Corning Ford, the official truck of the Foul Life Podcast. We're so blessed to be part of Corning Ford. Thank you so much. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Mickey Thompson Racing. These tires, these rides, the experiences, just the, the quietness of going down the road, pulling our trailers, chasing the migration, going turkey hunting, going, I don't care if you're rabbit hunting, I don't care if you're going bass fishing. I love getting there in style. These Ford trucks from Corning Ford and these unbelievable tires that mickey thompson is building the mzts there the mtz's i'm sorry amazing amazing product thank you don thank you willie thank you for believing in us thank you for supporting our culture when you guys are ready for a great ride when you girls are ready to take go to the next level with your ride and your tires look no further than mickey thompson racing mickey thompson tires i'm fired up today's episode of the foul life podcast sig sour peace of mind episode uh, series is also brought to you by our friends and family at ProComp. Look at our wheels. Look at our suspensions, our lift kits. Pro Comp is it. I'm so fired up to be working with them through our friends and family at Four Wheel Parts. Thank you so much, Corey, and the entire crew there. Go visit your local retail outlet of Four Wheel Parts and look at the Pro Comp, everything that they make, the suspension, the leveling kits, the tires, all of the different styles and makes and models of the tires. I love them. Pro Comp, pure quality, and again, worth the adventure is ProComp. It's worth the adventure. Get up off the couch. Get off that social media. Quit going somewhere just to film it. It's worth the adventure. Get ProComp. Get the tires. Get the suspensions. Get the lift kits. Get the leveling kits. I love ProComp. Thank you very much. And last but not least, today, our winches inside of our bodyguard bumpers are brought to you by Smitty Built. We deserve the best. We get stuck. Okay, we work hard. Sometimes we get off-road. We got to have a winch to wrap around something heavy enough to pull these trucks and trailers out. Sometimes at the same time, Smitty built. They go right inside our bodyguard bumpers. They're universal. They're Bluetooth operated. 
You can also do it the old-fashioned way with the remote, but they're Bluetooth op- Bluetooth operated. We love Smitty Built. Thank you for supporting our culture, Smitty Built. We're so fired up to be part of what you got going on. It's Sig Sauer. It's the Peace of Mind podcast series right here at the Foul Life. It's American Army Sniper Jason St. John. Thank you, brother, for being here. I hope you all enjoy. What is the what is the ideology in your head, Jason St. John, of being instructor do you have that in your and i know you know obviously our listeners have heard your story and they know that you were a a sniper but you also were a decorated competition shooter in all shooter in all branches of the military um some of the only ones to complete the different shooting schools that we can touch on again but do, do you have it in your mentality right now to be able to go to a let's say just a week long course and instruct for a week, or is it hard for you to get on that level of teaching a rookie how to become a more professional, I guess a proficient marksman? No, I had a true passion for that. In fact, the, um, about the last four and a half years of my time in the Ranger regiment, I, the role I had was the, uh, marksmanship program manager. And so I actually wrote their marksmanship training manual. And then, you know, I traveled, Oh, I'd say at least three weeks a month around to, you know, the the different battalions and then conducted other events and even reached out to the army and did week long marksmanship courses. Um, You know, kind of in the 75th Ranger Regiment, they got a thing called the Abrams Charter and uh, General Abrams back in the early 70s had dictated that really the Ranger Regiment was was the intent of it was to be, you know, the tip of the spear, not only in its its mission capabilities, but and really in, in reference and an example to the entire army. So, you know, when we wrapped up there, when I wrapped up my career for the last four and a half years, not only did I teach every single team leader and every squad leader and every up and coming team leader and squad leader in regiment, uh, I had an opportunity and, and regiment reached out to various army units. And we, we took our lessons learned in our marksmanship training. And, um, you know, we tried to influence um, as many U S army organizations as we could with, you know, kind of positive training that we had. And, actually exported that over to uh, some British um, special operations guys and exported my manual. And I traveled over there and and did some marksmanship training with them. And, you know, we really revamped how they were marksmanship, how they were approaching their training as well. And then traveled over to Israel and I worked with their marksmanship. Um, They have an entire training unit that handles, you know, anything from basic through all the way sniper schoolhouse and other events in there and traveled over there and worked with them for, four or five weeks and to try to help, you know, at least, you know, an exchange of ideas at a minimum. Right. And, uh, did our best to kind of influence the things we could influence within not only our individual sphere sphere, but you know, as, as far out as we could within allies as well. So yeah, I've got that bug completely. Okay. I got to ask you this then, um, you were an athlete pre-military. Is that free to say? I mean, is that fair to say? Were you a, were you a high school football player? Were you were you into athletics growing up? Yeah, definitely. Very, very, very sporting, very athletic. You know, we just baseball, football. You know. So, does is this the basis of becoming a proficient marksman? And I'm not saying that you can't. I'm I'm asking in your in your tenure, in your instruction, your military career, your professional career in this industry. Is it easier to become a proficient marksman? not just because of strength or balance or core or all that, but mentality, discipline, coachability, being a sponge and being able to take all that in. Is it, 
is it easier if you're an athlete to become a better marksman or let's say a sniper? Well, I, w- I would just say that anyone that has a history of strong work ethic, right, whether that's athletics or that could just be, you know, uh, you know, really their, their individual profession, right? And if, if you have a, a stronger work ethic, you have uh, some, some commitment and a desire to learn, um, I, I think, I think that, that lends itself to understanding what it takes to be good at something. Um, desire helps a lot, right? If you like something and you desire to be better, I mean, it makes that, it makes that work easier. Right. I, I, I bet that, you know, using your football analogy that someone wants to be a division one and an NFL pro level linebacker, I probably don't have the commitment that they have and, and the work ethic that they do in order to get to that position and only from the aspect of what they do to punish themselves to get that level. Right. But to them, it might not be punishment. It, it just might be like, this is what I need to do to get there. And I'm, I'm trying to achieve my dream. The funny thing about it, though, kind of backing up a little bit, the the people that I've always found the easiest to train, um, really, from a if you're going to segment, it would be women. Women are almost always easier to train to shoot than than men are. Really? And, and you know, I used to start all my classes with um, I would tell folks, hey, there's four things you can't tell a ranger. You can't tell them how to can't tell them how to shoot. You can't tell them how to drive. You can't tell them how to work out and you can't tell them how to have sex. Right. But, you know, if you ask, you know, and, and, and I, I mean, if Dale Earnhardt came in and tried to tell them how to drive, they'd be like, bro, you only turn left, you know, they, they criticize him on that, right. If, if Arnold Schwarzenegger came out and told them how to work out, they, they, you know, they'd be like, Hey, look, bro, we're not bodybuilders. We're looking for functional fitness. We don't need to listen to you. And you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the ego of I've been doing this for that long. You know, I jokingly said, if I asked you, if I asked some past girlfriends, they might have some criticisms on your, I can't tell you how to do something better too. Right. But yeah, obviously a lot more brash because it was the military. Um, why do you think, why do you, you, you're so, I want to make sure I have this right. When it comes to instructing a female, you're saying that the guard is down, the ego is not present and they're willing to take every word you say as the gospel when it comes to shooting. Yeah. They're willing to try. And, you know, they, their ego sets them aside. And even if you're an accomplished woman shooter, they seem to be more open-minded to ideas than, than men are. Right. Um, You know, and I, I, shit, I'm not a psychologist, but I think a lot of that is just ego. Right. Um, You know, I would, you know, you got to imagine what it would be like to go to say, you know, second Ranger battalion, pull out 40, 23 year old Rangers who've been deployed for three to four years in combat. You're going to tell them how, how screwed up they are you know, they, they don't really re- receive that well. So you shape your message a little bit differently, but you know, I would, I would, I would get 20 people shooting at a time. And if I had four or five people that didn't want to listen, I would just tell them, Hey, you know what? You should go to the, end of the other end of the line. I'd put the five of them at the end of the line. And at the end of the end of the day, they'd be like, man, you're not coming down here. And I'd be like, well, fuck, you already know what's going on. You, you didn't want me in the middle. So I'm going to put the people back by me that want to learn. Oh, and like you that. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's, and then they're, you know, usually about, you know, 80% of the time they're like, okay, Hey, I was being stubborn. Let's, let's, let's learn. And no 20% are like, yeah, right. I can already outrun you. And maybe some of them could, but you know, I, I learned early on traveling to these sniper courses. So like you'd, you'd hinted on it. You know, I went to, I don't know, four or five different sniper courses and I was also a sniper for eight years. And it had been very easy for me to go into one of those courses with a, with a, I know more than you instructor. 
And honestly, I probably did know more than almost all of them as I progressed in my career. Obviously, the first couple of courses, no, but it had been very easy for me to go into that environment and been like, you know, I'm just here to, to get my certificate. Instead, you know, I, I went there with a very open mind of being like, you know, what can you do to supplement my knowledge? You know, what can you do and what can you give me if, you know, maybe someone that's never done it before comes in and that's their, their entire catalog of information is from that course or that school. But, you know, what can you do to make me better and what techniques are you using that, you know, can really enhance my experience or sometimes even just simplify my processes, right? You know, a lot of times, you know, teaching all these young kids with very little experience, I would, I would have a, I'd have an individual with very, very minimal experience. We're talking three, four months in the army. Who knows what he did before he came in the army. And he'd be like, you know, Hey, Sergeant, you ever thought of it this way? And I'd been like, damn dude, 15 years. And I never thought of it that simple. And that might be something as easy as explaining a point, or it also might be like, why don't you do it this way? Cause this seems really easy. And like, damn, I was right in front of my face. And it just took someone with no experience to tell me a way of accomplishing something that I, you know, would have overthought. And it really lent a lot to not only what I was doing personally, but also gave a lot to my instruction. So, you, you know, there's, do, do you, ahead. do you think that, well, hold on. I, I wasn't cutting you off. Were you finished with that thought? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I just, I, cause I'm, ha I, I just had, I thought you were done when I saw the, oh, we're doing this over zoom as everybody knows. And sometimes you have a little, I guess, pause in it, or you're a little bit behind, but, um, it, the longer you get out of the military, how long have you been out of the military, Jason? Uh, six years this fall. Six years. The longer it goes after your career of being actually enlisted and you're a retired veteran, you've had deployments and missions. You were a ranger. You're a sniper. You have went to all these sniper schools. You had to have an ego when you're in there. You have, I believe you have talked. I've watched other documentaries on the mentality it takes to hold this rank, okay, to be able to do what you do, whether it's jumping out at, at a halo jump at 19,000 feet or going on a, a, a solo mission as a, with your partner as a sniper, whether it's getting, you know, going in and kicking down doors, it's a different mentality, in my opinion, from what I've learned. The further you get away from your military career, do you see that more, most of your brothers and sisters that you served with kind of have your same mentality to where you had an ego, you had to have it? But now you have this humility of, hey, we're still here. We're still alive. We are, we're, 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 God gave us, God gave us this life after the military to spread the word and to, to teach and to, to mentor and to instruct or any other thing that you're doing in your life, to be a father, to be a husband. Does the, do you see more and more humility from guys and girls that served with you that had an ego back in the day because they had to? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt, you know, and, you know, when I, when I criticize the young E5, that's, you know, 23 years old, who's deployed for three years and he's got an ego and doesn't want to listen. Listen, it's not like when I was 23, I wasn't full of myself too. Right. And, you know, I mean, I'm still confident now, but I mean, it's, it's not, it's, it's a different type of, you know, age comes wisdom type of thing, but your, your confidence level with what you can do is completely different than who you were 15 years ago. You can still be confident, but you know, the humility is there. You know, the funny thing about military guys, when you, when you talk about it, because I'm fortunate enough to be, you know, surrounded by, you know, in my opinion, you know, some of the greatest men that I've ever met and I'm able to understand and being part of their close circle, really know what they've accomplished and what they've done and the missions they've been on. And, you know, all of them are, you know, super historic missions, you know, 
I, I work with a guy who was, you know, on the Captain Phillips mission, right? And he's like, oh, not a big deal. Just what we do, right? It's not, none of them are braggarts, right? None of them are out there talking about how badass they were or nothing like that. And, you know, it's kind of funny because you get them around people like, damn, I'd love to hear you talk about how, I'd like to hear you talk about your career, you know? And they're like, well, I just, I did what I was told to do and I did what I wanted to do. And I'm fortunate to be here. You know, they don't, they don't, you know, the majority of people, don't write books. They don't get up on stage and tell the story, you know, like the majority of people don't do interviews on the news, you know, they're, they're just on with their life and they're like, it's a chapter. And it's not that they don't want to talk about it in my opinion, but it's just like, you know, I did a, I don't know if me and you've talked about this, but I did a, I did a make a wish thing for a young gentleman in Branson, Missouri. Um, he was 16, 17 and had a, a blood disorder and, uh, make a wish rich reached out to ranger regiment and they asked, you know, if we could come down and make him a ranger for a day. And, you know, we went down there to Branson, uh, wonderful young man, met him, talked to him, you know, we put him through a whole day's worth of training. Right. So every hour we'd promote him, he, you know, he went through basic, you know, ranger indoctrination. And then he went into, you know, we do conduct another aspect of missions with him. We'd, you know, we'd, we'd repel or we'd fast rope and that'd get him another rank. And, you know, we did some room clearing and then eventually we got him to where he, you know, he got promoted, you know, and, and, to, to like Sergeant major. Right. But, you know, he got a beret and he got to shoot, you know, our firearms, wear our night vision, do our tactics and do all that side of stuff. Right. And it was one of the most profound and, and wonderful days of my life to, to just to be able to interact with him and his family. And at the end of it, I, you know, we, we went out to dinner and I was like, you know, what made you decide that you wanted to be a ranger, you know? And he was like, well, when I was in the hospital, my dad would bring me military books to read. And, you know, he brought me one um, from Vietnam about the LERPs, which was long range reconnaissance patrol, which were the uh, ranger companies attached to uh, divisions in Vietnam. And he said, you know, at first I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. You know, I was like, I really was interested in Navy SEALs. And he goes, but more and more and more, you know, they came home and they, they'd make movies or they write books or they do these things. And then he's like, you know, and then I really got interested in, in the air force special operations. <laughs> I'll probably get criticized, but these are his words, not mine. He's like, but that's not real. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, 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 and he's, he's wrong on that, but it is funny from a, you know, young man's perspective. And he goes, after I read that LERPS book, I, I couldn't find hardly anything about Rangers. He goes, I looked all over and it was hard to find stuff that was anything newer than Vietnam. And he goes, I wanted to be a ranger because the true essence of special operations is that you go out and you do these hard missions. And when you come home, you don't need to talk about them for recognition. You do them because of the right reason. And I was like, damn, like this kid, you know, just, to, you know, I got chills right now just from telling you the story because he was just, a, you know, it was a nice, profound, clarifying moment. And so you know, although I don't have his criticisms of the other special operation branches, it lends back to what you're saying about the humility uh, that you run into. And I, and, and I know that you have run into and have many encounters with a bunch of military folks who are, you know, post-service or maybe they're retired. And, you know, for the most part, you know, of, of course, they like to really have a good time. They like to laugh. They like to joke. They do like to tell stories. But anything that they talk, talk about usually is something that's fucked up or something that was you know, way over the top. They, they don't really talk about how great they were. They just talk about the experience, I think. Yeah. I'm trying to, 
I'm trying to put into words like, I don't know if this next comment or question to you is going to make sense, but while you're talking, I'm thinking of <clears throat> how the, the PTSD and how real it is. And there is a such thing as PTSD in other aspects of life that are non-military related. So I'm going to say a couple things to get your creative or to get your mind going a second. But I've met UFC fighters that were on top of the world, red carpet, limousines, private jets, this, the fight career's over. And then the depression sets in that, well, what happened? Where's my money? Where's my notoriety? I didn't set my career up right. I've seen it with other athletes that go into the tank once the career's over, whether it was an Olympian, a wrestler, or a shot putter, or a Major League Baseball player. In military, Jason St. John, do you think, and this might even sound stupid, but what if there was no retirement age? What if a 60-year-old admiral could keep up with that 23-year-old ranger? Do you think the level of PTSD would go down because there's not enough time to think in between missions and that it's really because they want to still be over there with their brothers and sisters doing it, but their bodies will not allow them to. Well, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if that even makes sense, but I'm just sitting here going when you're talking about the mentality and the ego, these, these people that are developing this disease, this, this, this chemical imbalance or whatever PTSD in your is in your psyche, they were once on top of the world. They were once the strongest human beings on the earth as far as mentality and ego and being able to take instruction and direction and going and following through on a mission. And now all of a sudden they're so sick in the head that they want to hurt themselves or they get so down on themselves. If they were able to do this until they died as far as old age killed them in the military, would there be a such thing as PTSD? Well, I think, you know, Starting on that conversation, you know, often we associate PTSD with just, you know, a traumatic event or, you know, in the military aspect, you know, war and, and, and those types of things. But, you know, relating another personal story, I had, I had a friend who, you know, was in Rangers with me, was a first-termer, uh, meaning he was only on his first enlistment, had four-year commitment, and about year three, um, you know, he loved it. And year three, um, we were doing a pretty harsh training mission in, in July in Georgia. And he went down with like 109 degree temperature, internal temperature and lost, you know, a portion of his liver and a portion of his kidneys. And it caused him to be, you know, chaptered out of the army because, you know, he was injured beyond being able to stay in. And, you know, within, within, within three years, you know, his marriage was over, his happiness had been gone. He had some dependency issues and then that was the end of his life, right? He, he just basically did that, you know? So kind of relaying that story to what you're talking about is, I think the hardest thing that military members have with getting out is not being ready to get out. Um, you know, when you're medically retired because, you know, maybe you have an injury or maybe something prevents you from going on or, you know, you weren't ready to close that book, right? The, the book was still right in the middle and you still had five, six unwritten chapters ahead of you. And all of a sudden the book's just done. And I think that that's a very difficult thing to deal with, I think, for anybody, right? When you start talking, you know, athletes and, you know, blow your knee out or a neck injury, you know, if, if you worked your entire life to be in the NFL and in season two, before you get your big contract or before any of that stuff, you know, you sustain a neck injury and now you're, you're, not, you're not doing what you wanted to do your entire life. It, it's got to be extremely difficult to deal with. Um, 
So I think no matter what the, you know, expiration date is, I think that the individual has an expiration date if they've achieved or they've realized or they've been exposed to everything that they wanted to be exposed to. You know, I had another friend who, you know, um, real, really good friend of mine in sniper platoon. And I mean, this guy was all military. Like, I mean, he was like the movies, right? Like in the nineties, before we started deploying, it was all like, it was like being in a, an episode of full metal jacket with him. And, you know, the guy was all just really gung ho going to war. This is what I do for a life. And, you know, he, we, we finally started deploying and he deployed three, four times. He had 13 years in the army and he was like, all right, I'm done. He's like, I just wanted to go to war, you know, and he got, got three, four trips and he was like, okay, yeah, that, that punched my ticket. So, you know, the guy gave up, you know, could have stayed in another six, seven years, got his pension, got his retirement. And I told him he was crazy, but he was like, no, you know, I've, I've achieved everything. And, you know, maybe that guy in another time goes 20 years without going to war and, and feels like he never got what he wanted. But in that moment he did, and he's has had no issues about his separation from the army. Doesn't feel like I should have stayed in until I got my retirement, you know, retirement stuff. And so it's kind of funny, right? So I think if you, whether that is a, you know, 10 years, 20 years or a lifetime, I think if you achieve your goals and you feel fulfilled, I, I think that makes it a lot easier. And I think if you didn't get to accomplish something, I think you live on that. I think you can focus on that. And that's probably where that danger comes in, right? That's where, you know, I think anytime that someone doesn't let something go and, you know, think, think about relationships, right? Like the hardest is like, until you decide to get over that girl, you're tore up. But then there's a day when you're like, all right, man, I'm past it. I tried my best. I'm past it. And that's the day that everything starts getting better. Right. So if you have something in your life that you can't let go, it, it's probably hard to stay away from it. And it probably has detrimental aspects to your mentality and obviously your health. And then, you know, when you talked about the others that you finished up there, you know, suicide's a tremendous problem for, you know, previous military folks. And I might imagine that it's so multifaceted and so complex as to how you get there. It's not just PTSD. It is just, you know, maybe a, you know, self-worth stuff. And I don't know, it's, 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 it's very depressing that it's so prominent and prevalent in, in the military community, you know, but and are we, I, I am I hearing, am I hearing you say though, that if they could stay in and go back, that it would lessen, lessen the chances because I, I I've never heard, I, 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 that was, you know, I just heard your example of your friend that did, you know, did the, he had five, six years left before pension and retirement. And he's like, I'm good. I achieved everything I did. But a lot of them always say that they hate the fact that they can't go back, that they want to be back over there. And a lot of those people that have said that to me, and you mentioned that I do get, I, I am honored to spend the time I get to with all of these uh, warriors, you know, we call them, but it's because they were injured. They can't go back because they, they were, they were wounded and they, they feel terrible because they're not back over there because that's really who they are. So maybe it's a part that they can't figure out who they are outside of that because that's who they were their whole life from, you know, the, the from the day they started adulthood, most of them, you know, go in at that time in their lives at 18 and they have a hard time finding that whoever it is they're supposed to be after the service is done. And when it happens abruptly, that's when what you're talking about, right? Jason is like, now it's really bit tough to battle that when they're not expecting to not be able to go back. 
Yeah. What, well, you know, 100%, you know, I, like, I think we talked earlier on, on, on another conversation we had that, you know, for, for a long time, I carried a lot of guilt when I was being a competitive shooter and, and the war still going on. Right. I, I carried a lot of guilt, like I wasn't doing enough. And, you know, I, I, you see that guilt on, you know, when we started drawing down in some aspects in some theaters where an entire battalion wouldn't deploy and they might only deploy two of the three companies, two of the four companies. And so you have a company staying home and, and two companies going overseas. Right. And so you're like, you know, that company staying home is going, you know, batshit crazy. And they're wearing some guilt there. They're, there's the jealousy that other people are over there. And there's the jealousy that they're not being able to do what they want to do. And, you know, and you know, that it's, very difficult when you feel like you have a sense of duty and then you're not called upon to, you know, to be able to, to provide that, you know? And so I see it a lot with a lot of people that got injured, you know, some amputees or medical discharge folks where they have a very, very difficult time, you know, getting past the fact that they can't do what they wanted to do with their entire life. Hopefully now that, you know, we're out of Afghanistan and, you know, the, the, the general G Watts over, you know, hopefully that makes it easier because it's probably harder to watch something going on when, you know, you could be doing it compared to, you know, right now there's nothing, right. You know, there's things, I'm not saying that there's not people deployed in harm's way and we're not doing Americans mission, but you know, it's probably a lot easier when there's not other people going to war right now, you know, compared to, you know, a year ago when people were makes it easier you're saying yeah i would think so but you know because you know if depending on how long you've been out you know you know tomorrow i'm going to um uh change a responsibility for the regimental sergeant major and it's a guy that him and i served with when we were younger so i still know guys that are deploying i still know guys that are doing the mission i got very few left but i still know some right so all those folks that are injured and you know, they got friends are like, Hey, I'm deploying next month. They're like, shit, I wish I was with you, you know? And so now that that kind of goes away, hopefully that can help that. But, you know, I, I have no advice other than, you know, understanding really the contributions that you gave and the, the effort you put into it and everything that you did, you know, for the, for the brothers and sisters left and right of you, you know, no matter how abruptly or when that book is closed you, you have to realize that you know some of it's by design from from upstairs likely and you know other aspects of it are you were there when someone else wasn't so you really have to grab a hold i think for everything that you did and if if you came back with with injuries physical or mental you know you you have to bear the weight of that understanding that you maybe protected someone else from having to do that as well right if it wasn't you it would be someone else carrying that cross and you know, that burden. And so you, you can have some personal pride in the fact that you had the so shoulders and the back to be able to carry and the strength to be able to, you know, take that burden off of someone else that would have been there and suffered those same things, you know? And so maybe you can find some pride in that, you know, maybe some purpose. When you take away the pride and the purpose and you're sitting alone with all of your accomplishments and you're blessed because your family your organization you work with at SIG, you're a yeah. very blessed man with your accomplishments um, to have the circle that you do. But you also have a circle of influence on people that that gives them hope, that gives them 
um, strength. You know, my conversations with you give me a better sense of living, a better sense of pride. But when you're alone, Jason, and you have all of that, all of that positive optimism in your life now, whether it's your dog and seeing mallard ducks over your decoys and looking at your daughter and knowing what she means to you, is it still easy to go dark even with all of that, with that, now I'm adding in all of the prior conversation, the ego, the confidence, the awards, the accolations, the every, the accreditations, everything, every medal you were ever deservingly given. But I know that you're going to say that it was for everybody that you served with. I get that mentality, but is it still easy to go dark once in a while because of what you faced and these stories that you tell of fallen comrades and friends that, that lost their lives. And when you think back, is it, it, it never goes away, right? No, it's an impossibility. I mean, just this morning, a uh, good friend of mine, well, my best friend, I'm, I'm godparents to his children. You know, he, he was killed overseas, didn't even get a chance to meet his son. Son was still in, in mama when he, when, he, when he was killed. And, you know, he had, um, he had sent a video back and it was him singing, you know, Rocket Man, if you remember the Elton John song, right? And it was just right. him being goofy and he had his helmet on and he was just singing it and, you know, they played it at his wake and uh, shit. I was walking around the kitchen today and I was like, rocket man. And all of a sudden I was like, you know, I don't know why that song jumped in my head. I didn't hear that song. And of course, then I'm sitting there thinking about my best friend and, you know, smiling. So, I mean, yeah, there's constant reminders, you know, you know, to, to those events and, and, and those thoughts and, you know, it's, it's, it's just like if your parents passed, you don't stop thinking about your dad and there's not something that catches your eye that makes you think about your mother or anything like that. Right. So, um, one thing I did and, and, you know, this, I just, I just actually had a friend down here and, you know, he's been going through some tough times and I was like, you know, something someone told me about four years ago. And if you look around the military, you see a lot of folks wearing the, you know, the KIA bracelets, right? They, they wear the memory bracelets on there and it carries the gentleman's name or the girl's name and the date. And a lot of times, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, maybe this province, and, and it carries the full details of it. And, you know, military guys wear those things so re- religiously and, you know, till the f- point to where they break and they put a new one on, right? They, they just wear them to where you can't even read the print. And I had a guy come up to me and I said, Hey man, where's your, your bracelet? And he goes, took it off. And I'm like, why? And he goes, I just took it off one night. And ever since then, I've just had this profound sense of comfort. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, man, I was, I was carrying that around with me every day. I was carrying that event. I was carrying that individual. He's like, I got plenty of good memories, but I, I don't need to have that reminder on my wrist and carry that tragedy around. And, you know, again, we talked egos earlier. I was like, whatever, you know, I'm not doing that. Well, man, like two months later, I took it off and I was doing something. I just took it off and I forgot to put it back on. Um, And I, and I didn't, I mean, like for one morning, I left the house without it type of thing. Right. And then I just stopped wearing it, you know, and I put it in my little, uh, you know, shadow box, hutch showcase stuff. That's got little memories in it. And I stopped wearing it from then. And you know what? He was right. You know, like, obviously I told you, I just sang the song and and it reminded me of him today, but I, it did take a burden off my heart, you know, and you know, if I could give advice to folks that are wearing that, or, you know, maybe hear that story and you, you might find out that, you know, 
carrying around a tombstone on your wrist and sitting in that, you know, just looking at it and carrying those memories every single day might not be the best thing for you. It's not like you're going to forget that individual, right? I mean, I could relay stories about, um, about my buddy. I, you know, I could, I, they're vivid today. Right. Cause I mean, I loved him, right. We, we all love each other. So we you know, all that, lose, that helped a lot for me. We all lose people in our lives. Um, we don't have a course that we go through in elementary school or middle school or high school that prepares you, you know, for that. Well, I lost my dad in 2006 on August 9th of a massive heart attack. He was antelope archery antelope hunting in the mountains of Nevada. No, but nothing could prepare me for that. Nobody ever sat me down and went, Hey, one day there's going to be a knock on your door with a sheriff and your mom's going to open it and it's going to crush her world. And then you're going to get a phone call when you're in Seattle doing goose hunting seminars and your mom's going to call you and tell you to sit down that she has to tell you something like nobody ever can prepare you for that in the no. army and the military, Jason St. John, are there courses going into it? I know there's sniper school and I know that in all different branches of the army, there's different training programs, obviously from boot camp all the way through being deployed. But do they prepare you for that? Are there, are there psychological courses that, that they say, Hey, you are going to encounter this and you, and, and here's some ideas of how to be prepared. Or is it even possible to prepare for that? You know, I went, I went back in in 95 and I, I think I can remember getting like a brief course when I say brief, like a, a, a briefing, like an afternoon of what PTSD was. And they were like, well, back in world war two was called shell shock and in Vietnam, it was called whatever, you know, and, but it was never anything of like how to deal with anything, how to go with that. Right. Um, I would say for me around 2010, 11, 12 ish, you know, the special operations community got very invested in counselors, you know, and, and had counselors at every, every, you know, every battalion level, at least in regiment, every battalion level organization. And, you know, you could see the culture change of people wanting to go talk to the counselor, right? They, you know, the original thing that the big bravado was like, I ain't going to go talk to nobody, you know, like, and then, and then you've seen people like, Hey man, I just need to go talk about something that's going on in my life, you know? And then, and then I would say, you know, and I don't know, I haven't been part of the organization for the last six years, but you know, when I left, it was, it was pretty acceptable just to go to your boss or go to your buddy and be like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got an appointment with a psych. I'm going to go down and talk to him about some stuff. And, you know, I think that that definitely improves a lot of things. And then, you know, when you get that culture, then, you really open up to where you want to talk to your buddies and your buddies are willing to talk to you. And then you get that, you get that surrounding intimate culture of, of friends, you know, that you're willing to talk about things. But, you know, if you think about when you were younger, I mean, when you were 25 years old, I mean, you didn't talk about anything with your buddies, right? You, didn't, you know, today you be, you could be like, you know, Hey, I got arthritis and you'll tell them about them or, you know, you know, I'm like, you'd never <laughs> anything that might be embarrassing. Right. You know, you would never, you know, you know, you would, you wouldn't, not trying to be brash, but you wouldn't be like, God dang it. I crapped my pants yesterday. You know, you wouldn't have said that at 21 years old. Yeah. You know? well, <laughs> and it, it, imagine how much easier life would be if we did though, like you, that oh. mentality and that maturity level that you get. Um, how often do you at your age now, you're my age pretty much. I think you're a little younger than me. I'm 47. How old are you? I'm 49. 49. So we're, same so we're the same age. Same age. Yeah. Now, how babe, often- before you, 
But hey, before you go on, when I just mentioned crap in my pants and you said, how many times at your age do you, uh, <laughs> no, how many times at your age, right? Finish now, the sentence. <laughs> how many times at your age do you have conversations like this outside of a podcast? Uh, well, you know, like I said, I just had a friend down for 4th not, of July. Not, and- not necessarily military. I'm just talking oh. face-to-face conversing. Um, and you can include military talks, friends, and, and reminiscing and all that. But how often do you actually have face-to-face conversations like this? Obviously, we're over Zoom, but it's still the best we yeah, can yeah. do right now. But besides scrolling on Instagram and besides seeing what's going on on all the news outlets and YouTube TV and this and that, all of the distractions, how often at this part in your life are you having meaning, meaningful conversation? I mean, pr- probably not this in depth, but I think I have meaningful conversations daily, daily, you know? Oh yeah. And I don't mean, and like I said, not in this depth, right. Not, not, you know, talking, things through like this, but, you know, meaningful conversations with friends about their life. And I think one thing is uh, maybe I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty fortunate because I've, I've got just a, I got a huge segment of friends, right? I mean, I've got 20, 30 friends. And then I I think I definitely have a reputation of never shutting up. I I talk all the time, you know? (laughs) So, but on the flip side, I think, which I'm is also, weird for a sniper. You're letting it yeah, all out now. Yeah, we talked about that. You're letting it all out now. But yeah, on the flip side, what? I think on the flip side is, is I'm also the guy that people can call and be very confident, confidential with, right? Like I, I completely stay out of everyone's lives. I, 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 I have a hard enough time running mine. I, I'm not that I don't care about how you're running yours, Chad, but it's none of my business, right? As long as it's, you know, not, not hurtful or harmful to other individuals, you know, that that's when someone can pay attention. But if, you know, how you parent, how you relate and and who you are as a person and what you do is none of my business, you know? So the nice thing is I think having that attitude when someone has an issue or something, you know, people call me quite a bit to kind of talk through things. Right. You know? And um, so, yeah, I think I have meaningful conversations. I mean, to me, the every conversation is, is really quite meaningful with friends, but you know, like in-depth problem solving, you know, type of conversations. I'm kind of the go-to guy in our circle, I think. Have you ever been, have you ever ghosted anybody, Jason? I mean, have you ever been like, you know what? Oh yeah. I'm done. I'm not, but like just done. Like if he would text me again, I'm never texting him back. If she texts me again, I'm never texting back. If she tries to call me, she's blocked. I don't block anybody, but I know that that's something that you can do on these cell phones these days before you'd have a rotary phone and it would be, (laughs) you know, you're, you got to pick it up to find out who's on the other end. But, um, have you ever ghosted anybody to where you're like, you know what, it's just safer and better for my psyche or my mentality or my life to just walk away from that and be done without even giving them a reason or the, I guess, respect for back, lack of better terms of explaining themselves. Well, I think in my twenties, I would say I wasn't probably the best guy. Right. I mean, it was easy just to use people a little bit easier, but you know, I'd say in the last five to 10 years, I'd be surprised if I have, I'm, I'm usually the, I'm usually a guy who was like pretty upfront with you about, you know, what the hell were you thinking? What was this about? You know, of course I've lost friendships, of course. Right. You know, and of course I've screened phone calls, you know, but, uh, but I always call back, you know, like just might not be the moment I've had folks call me up and you're like, you know, we're, we're three, four conversations into some problems and issues and the timing's not right. You know, like, you know, 
type of thing. But but you've never yeah. just been like shed shed yourself of an individual, male or female, and said they don't deserve my time. I'm not giving them a chance to explain themselves. And what they, I guess that again, for lack of better terms, they call it ghosting. You're just gone. Yeah. Yeah. For me, like I said, is, Oh, I've done that plenty of times just without the ghosting factor. I'm usually a guy who'll call you up and be like, look, I ain't got time for this kind of crap, you know, and, and tell you the reason and issues that I have. With but you, that's right? not ghosting. That's not ghosting. Yeah. That's, I don't think that's, I- that's a legit, legitimate approach to a problem, either problem solving or an honest answer of saying, I'm walking away because of this. That's not yeah, ghosting. I also, like I just, yeah, I, I, I listen to you. I, don't I, listen think I, to have. you I listen to you talk and I just, I, that's one of the things about your mentality. I like is that I don't think you ever would. I knew the answer before I asked it. I didn't th- expect you to go back in your twenties. Cause you know, that's two decades ago and that's, there's things that happened in our twenties that, but now it's like, man, if I, if, if I, I will let somebody have the chance, Oh, but I'm going to tell them here's the deal. I just don't like the idea of ghosting. If I guess that's my, I just don't think you have it well, in your psyche to do that. I don't like the mentality that people have that it's okay just to, to say, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I'm done. I'm not returning your text. At least give somebody the fortitude of being like, here's what happened. I'm not jiving with it. We're done. Yeah. hundred percent. I also, you know, for me, I just think that, I mean, I just think that's the manly thing to do too, right? That's just the human thing to do, whether, you know, I use manly euphemistically, but I think that is, I, I think it would be so disrespectful, even if someone I didn't like just to freaking not answer their calls three, four times or not respond to their text and then just go away. Right. I, I, I just don't, I just don't, is I just it, don't, jive, it, like you it, said, I don't jive with that as a person. And you know, the other side of it is, is man, I only surround myself with good people, you know, like, you know, I don't really ever find myself in very many situations where I'm not, but you, around. but you, just, but you travel, you meet people all the time, all the time that are that, like, you could go to shot show and have a new Rolodex. Like I would go to shot show and get introduced to 40 new people. And you're like, well, I better stay in touch with him. Better stay in touch with her. Never know what door can open. So you just keep growing this network with this lifestyle of traveling. You look, you, you, you think about it. 80% at least if probably more don't have that. You know, they have four people they talk to on a regular basis. I'm talking to hundreds and hundreds and not like deep, deep conversation, but you are too. You've developed this network through military and this and shot show and this show. And, um, it's just like that mentality of ghosting is so weird to me of like, what, what goes through your head just to be like, I'm done with that person out of the blue. It's just not respectful. It's just not the way that you treat it. But my question to you before you go on with your, your statement is you said it's just not manly. And then you said, well, I use that as a euphemism. Is it not cool to say that's not manly anymore? Like, can we, are we going to piss somebody off by saying that that is a manly way to be? I'm not saying that a woman cannot be the same way and, and, you know, think forward like that. Like I'm going to make sure they know where I stand. A woman can do that just as easy, but it's okay to be manly still. Right. I, I, I mean, I fucking hope so. <laughs> I, just, I don't have, I, I don't have a choice, but you, you bring up a very valid point and, and something that I was just talking to someone the other day about and, you know, and trying, and that's a tiptoe statement, right? That's just, that's, that's playing the middle of the line. You say, saying euphemistically, and that is like trying to be respectful to everyone. But, you know, I, you know, I was talking but to someone it, but, the other but, day. But, is, but, hold on, hold on. But you are respectful to women. 
Oh, you, would, you would lay down your freaking jacket with all your medals on it and not disrespect the flag to make a wo- to make a woman more comfortable or to help a woman. Oh, I, I go out of my way on and always, always, every single day of my life, every single minute when I'm in public, it is opening doors. It is. Yes, ma'am. It is. Can I, I mean, that's manly. I see, I see, that's I see being women. manly. Yeah, I see women opening, you know, carrying heavy shit out to their car, and I'm like, hey, "Ma'am, let me get that for you." I'm, I'm that guy, right? How surprised? Um, how it's, it amazes me when I'm on a plane and I offer to pick a woman's bags up. How surprised she is at it. I'm like, let oh me yeah, put I get that bags me, out of the car up there all the time for for women, and they're like, "Wow, are you kidding me?" Like they're not used to it. I'm like, "That's how it should be." I, but that's manly, right? That's not being chauvinistic. Oh. Like, I don't think you're strong enough to get your own carry-on out of the... I think your makeup's too heavy for you to, to get a, to garner a, shul, a rotator cuff injury getting this bag out of there. That's not my mentality. My dad taught me to respect women, and that's a manly thing to do. I don't know how, why I'm getting off on this, but when you said that, I'm like, Jason's manly, but he's got the utmost respect for the human soul and women. Oh, yeah. I mean, as long as we don't pay him the same, that's really what I care about. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's that, that's funny that there's no fat on that joke right there that was funny but he is joking he's yeah, joking but so, you, you know it was funny because the other day i was on like the rental car shuttle in boston and it was packed you know and there was one chair open and ma'am take that one and then you know a couple people got up and i sat down and then next stop got on and you know a couple of uh you know, gals my age. And I was like, you know, please take your seat. And they're like, no, we're good. And I'm like, well, you can, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to stand up. And I seen this mother whispering to her two daughters. And, you know, we, another time I insisted, you know, it was a long ride for, for whatever reason. And we got done and she got up. And I'm like, well, you're in my seat. I'm glad you're leaving. And she laughed. Right. And she, she grabbed my shoulder and she goes, I told my daughters, that's a, that's a rare man. And find you one like that, that cares and is kind to people. And I tell my daughter all the time, find kind people to surround yourself with. And it's not hard to be kind, right? It's not hard to open doors. It's, it's, it's not hard to, to, to say, excuse me. It's not hard to ask someone how their day is going. It's, you know, it's not hard to compliment people on their haircut. It's not hard to do those things. And it makes everyone around you better. It makes everyone around you happier and it improves 100%. your day too. Right. You know? And so now, as far as the other way, hell no, it's not wrong to be a man. You know, you're, you're, you have to be, you're, 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 I was raised that way. You know, I, I, the other day a lady said to me, she says, don't call me ma'am. I'm not old enough to that. And I said, well, my wife's younger and I call her ma'am and my mom's in the grave and I still don't want her to come back and slap me upside the head for being disrespectful. You know, I was raised that, you know, sirs and ma'ams, the army polished that off real good. And I was just raised that you, you gave that respect. I felt you weird know. the other. I felt weird the other day, at a re- Cracker Barrel. I can't remember exactly where I was, but I said thank you, ma'am. Waitress filled my coffee. Yeah, she's twenty, me. right? She was twenty. You knew where I was going with that. Like yep, that's 100%. that's who I am, and she didn't bat an eye. Nope. She didn't bat an eye. Like, oh hey, what are you saying? I'm I look older than I am. No, it just said well, yes, ma'am. I'm. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's. I think that that's the proper thing to do. And I wasn't raised that way. Now, I was raised with manners. But I didn't learn the yes, ma'am, no, sir deal until I started spending so much time in the South and the Southeast. And now here I am in my mid-40s, and I'm like, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And I'm, and I'm doing that a bunch, right? But I knew manners very well. I was, I was on a belt. If I, if I 
messed up with the waitress at Boomtown at the buffet on a Friday night and bitched because my plate was taken away when I went to the bathroom and I wasn't done eating and I threw a fit. I got the leather belt out in the parking lot under the lights and my dad probably go to jail today with social services, but I was disciplined that way and I was taught to respect people and not throw a fit. So I don't think there's anything wrong with saying I'm a man and I'm manly and yes, ma'am. You know, like well, that's man- manly to me. Uh, imagine being pissed off because someone got the door for you. Imagine being that miserable that someone went out of their way to be kind for you <laughs> and you're offended by the fact that they, you've, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine being that miserable. On the other side of that, I opened the door for two people the day before yesterday when my, I took my daughter to eat and she bum rushed me like a linebacker, the lady come in the door and did not say thank you. And I didn't think anything of it, but some people would be like, well, that was kind of rude, but I, I do it because I would have done it. I would have done it. If that was a, a 300 pound linebacker come through the door to eat, I would open it up for a man or a 240 pound linebacker. Right. Huh. I would have opened it up for a man and, and been like, Hey bro, have a great day. You know, I, I, I want to be better like that. I want to be better. And I, and I don't think that that's been a maturity deal. I've been doing that my whole life, but it's, it's amazing to me that when I hear you say, is that, is it weird to be manly? You didn't say it that way, but it made me think that, it is manly to be that way, to be respectful and caring and nice. You could have a hard exterior once in a while because I self-admittingly do. I don't know where I got it. I talked to my therapist about it. Where did I get this freaking shell? Why am I so hard? Why is hard love my norm? Why do I make people prove themselves to me so much? Was I hurt this much when I was a kid? Was I hurt this much by a girl? Was I hurt this much by a sponsor? Or what I mean, like I'm always constantly thinking in my mind, Jason St. John of like, why am I so hard to get inside of and to be, be close to once you're there? I love you. I'll still be hard once in a while. I don't know if you have that because you're always talking about sweetheartness and, and being kind. And I want that. I want to be better. I want to, I often tell my friend Leith Lofton in Nashville, he's from Mississippi. You hear him singing on our show a lot. I go, damn, I wish I was more like you, Leith. You're unconfrontational. You have all the friends in the world. They all say the same thing that they want Leith around all the time. I want to be that guy. And then he's like, well, bub, we can't all be that way. I wish I had a lot of the things you had in life. How'd you get that? I wonder if you were like me, if you'd still have all that. And then he educates me on that. So again, I'm, I'm off on a tangent here, but I mean, I often try to, to break myself down, Jason, of like, I want to be sweeter. I want to be kinder, but I am, I do open the doors. I do say, yes, ma'am. I do care for people. But then I'm over here going, man, I was pretty tough on her. I was pretty tough on her. I was pretty tough on him. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense or rings true with you. At oh all. yeah. It makes a hundred percent sense, but I mean, you know, Three seconds ago, you were talking about your dad being a hard man. You yep. know, you're the, the 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 examples that you grew up with and I grew up with is the the men in my life, and that can be not only your father, but you know those types of friends, your grandfather, you know, uncles, you know, the the men in your life. You know, I don't think a lot of people talked about your your my grandparents, our grandfathers, as being soft men. You know, I think it was you had to be a hard man. You know, it was hard times too, right? I mean, I mean, and then you get into your father's age and same thing, right? The hard men, right? Like, I think if you'd ask, if you'd ask my dad, I think he would say, hey, you know, I love my father, but my father was, you know, an SOB, you know, and, and you, you know, and I think you would say, I love my father, my father had SOB traits, you know, and hopefully our kids are like, 
I hardly see my dad being an SOB, right? You kind of see those bad traits and the things you didn't like growing up. And I think they all kind of get watered down, but what can get watered down is the necessity for masculinity and the necessity for a man to be that strong example and provide the lessons that, you know, mothers cannot, you know, the, the, right. the beauty of, the beauty of parenting is, 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 you know, it's the mother and the father and the step parents have an ability to raise that child the way that they want to raise that child. You got to let that happen organically. And the cocktail that comes out at the end is usually a well-adjusted and, and, and fine person. You Ooh, know, they, I like they, that. I like that. I like, you that. know, so, you know, it's, you know, I'm, you know, my daughter's mom, you know, she's, um, you know, she works for United way, wonderful person, great, great person, but you know, her, her ideas of confrontation and my ideas of confrontation are different and her ideas of discipline are different than mine. Right. And so, you know, I'm not the talk through, that's not, I'm not the let's talk through this guy. Right. I'm the, the hell's going on guy. Right. And so, you know, and then like you said, you get done with that. And I was just saying, I'd say the other day, I'm like, now I kind of understand when my parents like this hurts me worse than you, because like, you know, I lose my temper and I'm like, God dang, I didn't need to lose my temper like that, you know? And so, but you know, I, I think you have to have that in your life. I think you have to have a healthy dose of, of fear of your parents. And I think you have to have a very healthy dose of understanding and love from your parents. Right. And you obviously fulfill one role better than the other. And, you know, other people around your, your daughter fulfill those roles as well. Right. So, you know, hopefully a well-adjusted, you know, young person can see the positives and negatives and they're going to have to their entire life, see the positive and negatives of people and they can grab the traits that they like and they can slough off the ones they don't. And, you know, they, they can be excused when they fly off the handle and they can, you know, always try to improve. I mean, hell, I'm a, I'm a hell of a better man at 50, almost 50. And you are at 47 than you were at 17 and 27 for damn sure. You know, we're going to continue this. I want to come back with part four, Jason St. John, Sig Sauer, military career, just a total American badass, but more importantly, just a good human being. And I can't wait. Like I was thinking about how awesome it's going to be when we see each other in person next, hopefully at duck camp this fall, like how awesome it is knowing the things that we know about each other now and how important conversation and transparency is in life. And I want to talk about that. I want to continue our conversation in part four about parenting and the struggles that you have of the way you were brought up compared to the dads you are now, how military career helped you. And I want to talk, I want to, I want to continue this conversation on how a, a roughneck military badass career of being a sniper. I ain't going to sugarcoat shit. You're a sniper, a badass sniper made you a sweetheart of a man. Like that's, that's a pretty cool study in itself right there of, I wonder why the badasses are always nice off the table and the guys that aren't so bad or the people that aren't so badasses can be the ones that aren't really the nicest, sweetest people in the world. It's a weird correlation, but Mike Tyson talks like he's a sweetheart now, even though he would have ripped somebody's head off back in the mid eighties and probably still could if he lost that little edge, like Jason's just said, lose your temper once in a while. But it's really interesting to me how nice you are with what you were trained to do and what you did do. That's a, that's a cool correlation to me, not cool, but it's an interesting correlation that I want to dive into next time on part four. Jason, thank you for being here on part three. I love talking with you, man. Let's do part four soon. Yeah. 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 You bet. Okay. Will you remember this with me though, that this is where we're starting 
I'm taking notes. You're taking <laughs> notes, and I, and I know you have so many conversations in your daily life, like I do myself, that I want to make sure that we continue on it. So it's a it's an interesting correlation with me because I really do strive to be nicer. And when I lay my head down on my pillow at night, I think back on my day of the interactions I had and was it, did I put my best foot forward on each of those interactions or could I have been a little bit different with my approach? And did I get the result out of that interaction that I wanted because of my approach in my, how I engaged in it? I want to, I want to study that. That's, I think that's a really neat observation in human psyche because I don't want guilt trips. I don't want to feel guilty inside of how I treat somebody. I want to continue this because you have a really good grasp on it through your career. Jason St. John, another episode of Sig Sauer Peace of Mind podcast series right here at the Foul Life. Sig Sauer, I can't, I'm, I'm telling you, you got to get into the, seeing what they're doing with their ARs, their handguns, home defense, self-defense, protecting our families, our community, concealed carry, open carry, constitutional carry. A lot of things being said out there about it right now. I love the mentality and the culture of Sig Sauer, what they're doing for our U.S. military, what they do for our veterans, charitable work throughout the year, the Sig Sauer experience. It's going to be more and more talked about on this podcast because I'm truly honored to be part of the Sig Sauer crew, the family, the team. I'm honored to be friends with Jason St. John. I can't wait to come back. Sig Sauer series, the Foul Life podcast. I'm Chad Belding. Thank you all so much for being here.